Paul's letters reveal his concern for the church in Jerusalem. You picked up on that, didn't you? He was concerned for the poor that were there. The early church had these pressures and constraints that Paul was all too familiar with because, as you remember, he, in the form of the person Saul that he was, was a persecutor of the early church. In fact, he found it his duty to God to go and to try to either imprison or stand by while those persons who were Christians were killed by mobs of individuals whom he rallied toward those particular events. When he thought about Jerusalem... There is no doubt that he was thinking compassionately, but he also was carrying the weight of what he had set in motion, or at least what he had not let simply be. There in Jerusalem, these early Christians, Peter and the rest, were gathered And they were dealing with abject poverty. They were well outside of their ability to take care of themselves. You remember that Jerusalem is not a waterfront property. You remember that Peter and James and John, these early Christians, at least a good portion of them, were fishermen. They had no livelihood in Jerusalem. They were poor. Were it not for the good graces of those who handed to them gifts, they would have not been able to survive at all. Paul set out on a mission. His collections for them took him well beyond the city limits of Jerusalem and into far reaches as he spoke to the people in Galatia and Macedonia and in Corinth, both by his presence and also by his letters, he encouraged them to respond generously. In fact, he called specifically that they might help the poor in Jerusalem. It's interesting when we reflect together on these passages of Scripture, and I say these passages because this really is a large part of Paul's writing, particularly in Second Corinthians between the 8th and the ninth chapters. He is stating as clearly as he knows how this challenge to the early Christians in Corinth. He, in fact, uses as an illustration what he has encountered with the early Christians in Macedonia. At the first of the eighth chapter, he says, We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that has been granted to the churches of Macedonia. For during a severe ordeal of affliction, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For as I can testify, they voluntarily gave according to their means and even beyond their means, begging us 
earnestly for the privilege of sharing in this ministry to the saints. And this, not merely as we expected, they gave themselves first to the Lord and by the will of God to us, so that we might urge Titus that as he had already made a beginning, so he should also complete this generous undertaking among you. Can you hear what's happening here? The people at Macedonia so want to be involved that they are begging to participate in the offering for the poor back in Jerusalem. Now, I have been a pastor for 30-some-odd years. I have never had anyone come to me to beg to be a part of an offering. I'm still holding out hope for that. They were so earnestly aware of Paul's heart and God's goodwill that they wanted to link their lives in this extravagant way, this extravagant way with what God was seeking to do. We don't know the amounts. I wish that Paul had maybe given us a little indication of how much was collected, but that would have undone the illustration of this passage. We don't know the amounts that they were giving from Macedonia. In fact, it is possible that the amount was very small. It says here that they were not giving out of their riches, their wealth. These perhaps were persons that were very simple in their living, that they themselves were poor. It says here that out of their extreme poverty has overflowed this wealth of generosity on their part. Could it possibly be sort of like Jesus is looking at the giving in the temple where the Pharisees and the scribes, and particularly the Sadducees, came and gave large sums of money into the temple treasury. And yet Jesus, in doing his spying, sees this widow come, and she puts in two small coins. And he says, look, she's given more than anybody else has given, because she's given everything that she has. Could it possibly be that Macedonia had just astounded Paul, not so much at the amount, but their willingness to give even when they themselves did not have much? That's an incredible thing, incredible thing to observe. Their response, there is no doubt, their response was this extravagant generosity. So many times these words are used in stewardship campaigns that I fear that they lose their power. It's sort of one of those things that you expect to hear. Some of you may be asking yourselves right now, am I missing the calendar somehow? This is not the fall. This is not the fall stewardship campaign. Why are we talking about money right now? You and I 
need to look at the Scripture closely and with eyes open and ears open and hearts open to hear it at a time where maybe we will be more vulnerable as we look more honestly at what we have, what, quote-unquote, belongs to us. Isn't that what tax season is about? Are you looking to see what you have or what the government tells you that you are supposed to have? It's an opportunity for us to think very graciously about what we have received or to bemoan the fact that it is never enough. I know that there are people that are thinking that right now, that no matter what they have, there is this sense of wanting more. Generosity exists only because of our willingness to participate in it. Do any of you remember an old television show? I don't even remember the name of it, but I remember that they used to, it, it was, it always happened in a grocery store and they would line up contestants with the buggies, large buggies, and they would give them instructions that they had only so long, say 10 minutes, to go through the grocery store and to fill the buggies and to come back to the front. You had to be there by the time the the chime sounded, and and so they raced through the grocery store, and they were pulling things off the shelf left and right, and they went for the most expensive things because they were going to tally this up at the end of the uh, in the end of the program, and so they were reaching for for uh, ribeye steaks and all those things that are just just so expensive, you know, that you sort of look at and you have to really think about before you purchase. They were getting everything, and the thing that I always was amazed at is that even when the buggies reached that that point where they were brimming over, they were still trying to stick things in that buggy. Even if there was no room, they were putting that in. If it knocked something else out, that was just part of the game. You and I live in this culture, and believe it or not, it's just not this culture. It's human nature. It's been like this to want those things that we don't have. I mean, this is the story of Adam and Eve. I mean, the story of of human nature is our wanting that which we do not have, even though there is this completeness about life. There was a survey that was taken just recently in the United States in which a very simple question was asked. What would it take to make you happy? And over and over again, the respondents said about 20% more income than I have now, which seems plausible. Would that make a big difference to you? Would that sort of make you happy if you had 20% more income than you have now? The interesting thing about this survey, though, is that they found that people answered this question the exact same way if they made $10,000 a year or if they made $100,000 a year. 
even if they made $500,000 a year, there was this expectation that if only they could make 20% more, that that would be the level at which they would attain true happiness. You and I are involved in a very futile search. The futility of those efforts become evidenced by those styles of living in which we believe that those things that we purchase, those things that we own, will truly in some way bring us happiness. I know that a journey toward tithing seems almost insurmountable for us who are not always characterized by being tithers. But there is something that is going on here that is so important for us It is a practical way for us to say to ourselves that God is the Lord of our life. And by our willingness to truly consider what it means to be extravagant, others can take delight in it as well as God himself. Now, this passage of Scripture that Gary read for us this morning is in the 11th verse through the 15th. I want to read the first two verses of this again so that you can reflect with me for just a minute. He says, you will be enriched in every way for your great generosity, which will produce thanksgiving to God through us. And then he gives the logic For the rendering of this ministry not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also overflows with many thanksgivings to God. So not only do these gifts that are headed back to Jerusalem to help the poor there, not only do they actually help the poor, and there is a celebration of that, those who receive the offering celebrate what is happening in the lives of those that unexpectedly are making the offering on their behalf. It is this full cycle. You get it? They are celebrating not only to have received, but they're celebrating what is going on in the life of the persons that are doing the giving. And the persons that are doing the giving are celebrating at being included in God's good measure to be his generous people. This is the perfect trinity that everyone is celebrating what God is able to do. Extravagant giving always produces results received an envelope just a couple of weeks ago 
on the outside of the envelope was scrawled in a child's handwriting, this is my tithe for another child that may not have money enough to go to camp this year. May not have money enough to go to camp this year. In the envelope was, I think, $27. I went to the mother of the child that had given the envelope, and I said, I said, I was absolutely moved by this. Now, get it, this is not going to balance our church budget, is it, right? (laughs) No one would think that, right? But this is profound because this child gets it. The mother told me that they had put in place with their children something that they had picked up from Financial Peace University, if you've ever been through that class, but the suggestion that a good way for a child to learn about giving is to have three envelopes, one envelope for tithe and another envelope for savings and then another envelope for spending, which you're wanting, you want to do, you know, with some of the little bit of money that comes your way. And so over the course of the past year, this child had really filled her envelope as much as she could with tithes, and she wanted it to go to something that she felt like was really important. Extravagant giving produces results. What she did makes me want to give better. Do you feel that way? What she did even in the smallness of that offering, makes me want to make sure that I am thinking and praying when I give my gifts and that I'm as generous, extravagantly generous as I can possibly be. It won't be long now, you know, until we see the celebration of spring again in our Area. In fact, this very morning, my windshield was covered with pollen. Did it? See, did you see it on your windshield? And as I look at it, I think to myself, I could, I could get a little irritated with the idea of what spring means. But then I think to myself. Oh, there is a delightful thing that is about to occur. And you may not even be aware of it, but right now at this very moment, there are the roots of dandelions in your yard that are rejoicing (laughs) at the possibility of being what you did not want them to be last year. You may have thought that you have solved the problem in your yard, but you have not. I guarantee you that they celebrate life better than any of us. And the gracious flower that blossoms up is actually a beautiful flower. I love dandelions. I do. But that little puffball of seeds, which will be 
plucked by maybe a grandchild of yours from the bottom and then will be held there and with one breath will reseed itself for next year in your yard. You won't even know it's happening. All those seeds by the thousands floating around. Can't you and I have this cycle of extravagant generosity that God would bless in such a beautiful way? The celebration in Jerusalem was profound. These were not people that were just helping. These were Gentiles that were giving to Jews. Who ever heard of such a thing? Gentiles helping Jews? It was incredible. I remember hearing Bishop Haijong Kim of Korea, who spoke at the South Georgia Annual Conference a few years back, and he used the most simple illustration. He was talking about his way of receiving. He said, when I receive, he said, I put my cup up. He said, he said, it is poured full he said but he said what i understand is that is that i need more and so i get another cup in order that i fill the next cup up and he said then i find a way to get another cup in order that i have as much as i should have he said i realize that this is not the way to live he said if we are going to share what we have been given first he says you must have your cup tipped in order that even before it gets full, that it will pour itself out to others that are in need. Isn't that a simple but great illustration? That we must have our cup tipped in order that it might pour out to bless others. Some of you may know a pastor in our conference named Bobby Gale. Bobby Gale is a missionary of sorts. In fact, you may have known him and really not realized that you knew him. He has been going back and forth from the United States to Africa uh, for years now, helping communities uh, with uh, drilling wells in order that they could have clear, clean water to drink. It's a beautiful project. In fact, I would imagine that Pittman Park has supported on more than one occasion wells that have been dug in Africa. He has befriended many people, Bobby Gale has, in his goings and comings. And one of the persons that he became acquainted with was a fellow named Daniel Wandabala. And Daniel has come back to the United States and has uh, shared on occasion at preacher's meetings. I was at a preacher's meeting, and Bobby Gale had Daniel with him. Daniel is now, I think, a bishop in his African nation. And as I saw Bobby, I knew what was about to happen. I thought I did. Bobby saw me, and he said, he said, Bill, let me introduce you to my friend. And I put my hand out, and Daniel shook hands, and he said, it's so good to meet you and good to be here. And Bobby said, this is 
one of our pastors of one of our rich churches in South Georgia. And I looked at Bobby Gale and I thought, Bobby, why are you doing this to me? Our church is not particularly rich. In fact, I don't know that there would be one or two persons in the congregation that would consider themselves to be wealthy. And I, I was trying to, to say to Bobby Gale, just by osmosis, by getting the word to him, we don't fit into that category. When it occurred to me, here Daniel is standing right beside us. Compared to every, every other church in his conference, we were rich as could be. It has to do with perspective. All of this should be our celebration of extravagant generosity. But even more than that, it is truly the celebration of God's extravagant generosity to us in Christ. Now, this morning, weren't the bells fantastic? Weren't they? Just incredible. Um, and they did something I had never seen before, not that I remember. I mean, it's not enough just to ring the bells. Did you see him doing this number here with the bells? <laughs> this, it was like a celebration. I mean, I, I wonder if they were just doing that on their own or if, if Sandy had actually told them to do that. But that was just a great thing. This little number on the end of the, of the note. Our giving is called to be extravagant. Let people wonder about it. We are surrounded in this place by the evidence of others who went before us. Isn't this a beautiful sanctuary? It did not happen except by someone else's extravagant giving who went before us. Do you want to be a part of that as we move into the future? What a beautiful celebration God invites us into. And how many lives, how many lives will be blessed by it all?